This is the Iowa State Athletics Sidecast. I'm John Walters. Today's Sidecast is a visit with former All-Big 8 linebacker Dennis Gibson, who in September will be inducted into the Iowa State Athletics Hall of Fame. Gibson racked up over 300 tackles at Iowa State before embarking on a very successful career in the NFL. Now he's back home in Ankeny, where he owns and runs a restaurant. We hope you'll enjoy our visit with Dennis Gibson. Well, Dennis, we're sitting here in your beautiful restaurant in Ankeny, Uptown Food and Beverage. I think it's kind of neat. You're back home, raising your family in the same town that you grew up in. Even though the town probably uh, feels a little different, seems a little different, it's neat that you're back home and life kind of came full circle. Yeah, it sure has. It's a lot different place than when I left. We go to Ames back in 1982, and then left and went to Detroit in 87. And, you know, I swore to God when I left to go to Detroit, I wasn't coming back. But things have changed so much here, and, you know, it's a great place to raise a family. No doubt about that. And you're heading into the Iowa State Athletics Hall of Fame. What does that mean to you? Oh, it's huge. I mean, the distance between when I played now and, and today is, is, it just seems like such a long time ago. And it isn't something that you think about every day. Some of my college buddies' teammates have been adamant guys pushing for me to get in. So, you know, it's just kind of really unexpected because it's just been so long since I was there. Well, there's no doubt you deserve it. And just take me back a little bit as you were at Ankeny High School, kind of your path to Iowa State, because I know you weren't heavily recruited. How did you end up at Iowa State? You know, a lot of people don't know the story. Okay, so I go to the high school camp, you know, during the summer before, and Larry Coyer was the defensive coordinator then. And, you know, I talked to him after I got there, of course, and he says, you know, that's probably the reason we decided to recruit you because we came up there, he said, I like the way you could run, and I thought that, you know, you were a good athlete and that, you know, maybe we could make you into a productive player. So I think maybe that was the thing that got me over the top because, Okay, so my junior year in high school, I started playing linebacker. I broke my collarbone and only played two games. You know, then my senior year, we had a great team and went to the playoffs, the first Ankeny team to ever get into the high school playoffs. It was a different system then, the point system. Played with some really good players, but, you know, I wasn't the all-state guy. I wasn't an elite guy, just another guy on the team, basically. And so I wasn't one of those standout players in high school. I just got the opportunity because I think of, the, of going to the training camp during the summer before my senior year. Isn't it strange when you think about the way recruiting is today? I mean, kids are committing as sophomores and juniors. You might not have ever even gotten the opportunity uh, in today's world. Yeah, it's different now. Yeah. I mean, even there's marketing companies out there that are marketing these kids to the college team. So it's drastically changed in the Internet age and video age of the things that you can get to college coaches to, you know, increase your visibility. And who knows? It's just one of those unanswered questions. I heard a story about how your first year at Iowa State, you even contemplated quitting. Things weren't going the way you had hoped. Just kind of tell me about that initial stage of getting into college and trying to adapt and trying to adjust and everything's coming at you 100 miles an hour. What was that like? It was tough. I mean, it's a hard deal to go to a Division One school and play football, or really any sport for that matter, because of the amount of time that you take training. Physically, football's a little bit different. I mean, you get there. I mean, I was 195 pounds soaking wet coming out of high school, and Unfortunately, in my recruiting class, we didn't have a bunch of D linemen. So, you know, you're all on the scout team. And I was one of the bigger linebackers at that time. So I was playing on the D line during scout team. And I'm lining up against the guys, you know, Ted Clapper and Carl Nelson and Reimers were there. These guys were, I mean, a couple of those guys played in the NFL. And, you know, I mean, I was a kid and they were men because they had been there, you know, four and five years and had really developed physically. So, I mean, I just took a beat down. I mean, it just... It was 
the most physical thing that I've ever been through. And I decided sometime, I don't know when it was, because I get reminded of it every once in a while by some of my buddies, the one that convinced me to come back out and play. That, you know, during the season, I just said, hey, you know what, I'm done with this. This isn't any fun anymore. And that's kind of when I think a lot of people leave things, is when it isn't any fun anymore. And it wasn't any fun. And I think the thing that, the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was we were one day and I was playing on the D-line and I was playing nose guard and, and I'm pretty sure it was Clapper, you know, blocked down on me. I was playing right over the center, blocked down on me, ear holed me and gave me a concussion. I mean, that's physically what I know now from, you know, all the discussion that we've had since those times about, you know, symptoms and stuff, you know, and I walked off the field and I thought I was going to throw up and went in the training room and, um, they put a bag of ice on my head and Donnie come in the uh, training room after practice and, you know, with that Southern draw, he said, don't worry, Gibby, it'll get better. You know, and I was just like, yeah, it's going to get better because this is about it for me. And then, of course, we had conversations, you know, and this one of those spur-of-the-moment knee-jerk reactions things. And, and they, then they, they promised me they wouldn't be, make me play D-line anymore on the scout team. And I think that that was the beginning of the, you know, the, the positive relationship. That was the turning point. Who who was the friend of yours that, that talked to you into state? Randy Richards was another oh, yeah. guy, you yeah. know, Urbandale guy. Um, we were tight. He, he was uh, one of the guys that I was really tight with while I was there. Greg Butts, of course, is an Ankeny guy, you know, came in with me from here from Ankeny. But, yeah, he was the one who came in looking for me when I didn't show up for the next function, so... I owe him a debt of gratitude. Well, I, I lived down the street from Ted Clapper for a long time, so I, I can imagine taking a hit from him wouldn't be a, a very comfortable thing. But you end up being a, a three-year starter, over 300 career tackles, so you really had a great college career. Turns out Iowa State was a really good fit for you. Yeah. I mean, a part of it was just being there at the right time. You know, I don't think a lot of people understand the way the depth chart works. And you get guys that are upperclassmen that are players, and when they leave, things just happen. You know, guys move up if you can survive, you know. And I had a bunch of great players in front of me that were older than me, but uh, there wasn't a bunch of depth in front of us. So I got to start a few games. My redshirt freshman year, the first game I ever played was against Nebraska over in, in Lincoln. You know, Turner Gill and Rozier and Irving Fryer were on that team, and it was it was the first, it was an eye opener. I mean, I, I was scared to death going over there to play that first game because I was a redshirt freshman and lining up against you know one of the number one teams in the country. You look back at it, and it's changed so much since then. You know, I mean, realignments and everything. But after that redshirt freshman year, you know, a bunch of guys basically just fell off the depth chart, and I slid into a starting position from my so- sophomore year on. And you mentioned a lot of names already of guys you were very close with. Was that the best part of your experience as an Iowa State player was just making all those friendships for life? Yeah, I think definitely that's the biggest deal because that's, I mean, we all have that bond and I don't get to as many games as I want to. I mean, I'm still junior coaching. You know, I have a kid that's going to be a seventh grader in the fall. So I'm I'm in my 11th year of coaching junior football. And between family responsibilities and work, it's really difficult for me to get to games. I try to get to a game or two every year, but unfortunately last year was the Texas game. Thursday night, we have practice. I couldn't go. So we always try to get together at least one time a year and get to a game together. And those those bonds that you form with guys that you go through so much with, I mean, I, I tell people it's almost like a military experience in a way because you're a team and you're really tight and you go through a lot together. And, you know, win, lose, or draw, we went through a tough time when we were there, you know, on the win-loss record. And it was, you know, kind of us and everybody else. And so I think we're probably tighter than we would have been if we had been really successful. You had to kind of prove yourself all over again when you went to the eighth round of the NFL draft to the Lions. 
Tell me about that experience when you first started your NFL career and maybe that getting over that hurdle of saying, hey, I belong with these guys, I can play with these guys. Well, it kind of started after my junior year. Phil Bennett was my linebacker coach, and after my junior year, he said, hey, you know, there's some teams, you know, I've talked to some pro scouts, they think, you know, you might get a chance to play, you know, or at least get a shot in the NFL. And so I'm like, I had never thought about it previously. It never even entered my mind. You know, I got invited to the Blue-Gray game and then played in the Senior Bowl. And after the Senior Bowl, I talked to a couple scouts from a couple of teams, and they said, hey, if you don't get drafted, we're definitely interested in signing you as a free agent. So I kind of got that feeling in January. January after you know the last season that I played that you know I, I mean this could be true you, you know you might get a chance you know to, at least the opportunity to get into camp and see if you can make a team so I kind of started feeling it then that okay this may be true you know what Phil had told me and then uh, of course you know draft day came you know I got drafted by the Lions in the eighth round like you said and went to mini camp and said okay well here it is you know things have changed since then you know, with regards to that, with OTAs, you know, we had a we had a mini camp during the off season. Then you came to training camp. You know, I get to the, I get to training camp my rookie year, and they gave me number forty eight, which number forty eight isn't eligible to play in the NFL as a linebacker. So, Not a good sign. <laughs> no, and I didn't know that then. I didn't know that then. It wasn't until later because okay. after it was somewhere a week week or, or or ten days into camp that they changed my number from forty eight to ninety eight, and. It was kind of a situation too, almost similar to Iowa State. You know, there were some guys there that had been there for a while and they weren't playing well defensively. And it was a big change for me because I'd been playing outside in a 4-3 and I moved to inside in a, in a 3-4 in a position that I hadn't ever played. And it was, you know, the whole new experience all over again. But it, I think in the NFL, you got to get to this point as a rookie where if you're as good as the guy that's there, they're going to take you because they know one thing, you got room to improve and you've got some longevity, you know, because of how physically demanding the game is. It's you get discarded pretty easily in the NFL. So after a week and a half, I started running with the first team and started every preseason game. And we get to the last cut right before we get to the you know, regular season roster. And I'm sitting there in the, in the locker room knowing there's, there was a couple, two or three linebackers that were going to be let go that day. For some reason, we were the last group that they really hacked off of. And, you know, I felt like I was secure because I, you know, I started every game and it had performed reasonably well and was calling the signals, you know, to give them the defensive signals, the fronts and coverages to our defensive squad on the field. And I was like, I think I'm going to be here. But until that last cut happens and they ask yeah. you to go into the first team meeting of the season, you just don't know who's on the chopping block. And so... I survived that, and then things just kind of went pretty well from there on out. And it was a really good run in Detroit, and those fans, man, they love their football. Oh, yeah, blue-collar town. Yeah. And, you know, it had been a long time since the Lions had been any good. You had to go back to really to the 50s, to the Bobby Lane days before the merger and they, when they had won some championships. And so when I was there, uh, a couple of years later, we drafted a guy named Barry Sanders that, you know, people that I was in Ames are – familiar with and he really added a lot of excitement and offensive firepower to our offense and the first few years were a struggle but in 91 we end up losing to the Redskins in the NFC Championship game we were one game away from the Super Bowl then I played another couple seasons there and then the free agency thing came around. Yeah. And now to San Diego and you get to a Super Bowl and you make the big play that kind of clinched that to get to the Super Bowl that had to be the play that people bring up to you probably more than any other from your career because it was so memorable. Yeah, I mean, it was a dramatic ending to a big game, and that's the reason why. If the play happens any other time, any other game, you know, people remember it, but not like they do, 
you know, especially the San Diego fans. I'm constantly amazed by people who will come up to me even to this day and say, hey, you know, I remember that. Some of them were just little kids then because it was so long ago now. You know, both sides of it. Yeah. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, and, and it's like, man, you crushed my team. I thought we were going to the Super Bowl, too. You know, the San Diego Chargers fans, he's like, you know, man, it's the greatest moment in, uh, you know, San Diego sports history because their team, the Chargers organization has only been to one Super Bowl, and you know, I was fortunate to be on that team. You mentioned playing with Barry Sanders, and you played with Junior Seau, and you, you, I mean, you played with unbelievable players and teammates. Who were maybe some of the characters or some of the, the really fun people to be around that – that you enjoy just being around as a professional athlete? The one thing I tell people is that when they ask me if there's anything I miss about the league, I'll tell you the things that I don't miss because there's a lot of big egos in the league. And I think they're probably bigger now with the social media thing and everything that goes on. But, okay, so Barry, I mean, quiet guy, unbelievably talented, but was like your next-door neighbor guy. And most of the guys that had that kind of ability had the ego that – went with it but Barry is one of those guys that was just you know normal everyday guy I mean he was such a classy player for the way he played and you know handing the the ball to the referee every time he scored a touchdown you know I mean he was just one of those guys where this is the kind of great player that you want on your team you know in the Detroit days you know Spielman was guy who I played next to for well I was there for six years with him because the seven years he came in the next year after me rabid NFL football guy, you know, grows up in Maslin, Ohio, you know, just right outside, basically near, they're near Canton in the Hall of Fame, Ohio State, huge tradition, a place to play and live, breathe, sleep, eat football. And, I, you know, I learned things from guys like him. After we got done playing, he was, you know, he's worked for CBS for quite a while. And it was in the, one of the last times that Iowa State played Nebraska in Ames. He was there, and he called me, and we were going to try to get together, but schedules wouldn't allow it. And he's just like, man, how do you get guys to come here? You know, because it's, I was like, you know, I think it's changed a lot because now Iowa State has those facilities, and you look at it, it's out in the middle of the cornfields. It's away from, you know, metro areas. You know, there's Ames. That's what you have to deal with. And I think that it's one of those places where you walk into that town and it's either a place that you will love or you'll hate as a recruit. It's either a place that you feel like, oh, I can be here and I can see myself here. Um, I think there's no better place to play than in the Midwest. And I think it's a place that one of the reasons we're having success is because of the facilities that, you know, there isn't this huge disparity that there used to be 30 years ago you know, compared to when I played and that now we had that facility side of it and, you know, with the way the program's going, it's, I think it's, it's getting easier and easier to bring, you know, better talent in. Yeah, we'll touch on that a little bit more in just a moment, but I, I want to ask you about one more thing about the NFL. You started 120 of 121 games. Now, I know injuries are out of the control of a player sometimes, but that is remarkable durability in the NFL and reliability. How were you so fortunate to, to be able to do that. I tell people there's two things you got to do. You got to train hard and you got to stay in shape during the offseason and you have to play hard because a lot of bad things happen to people when you kind of let off the gas pedal as they say. And so I played every game to the or every play to the whistle 
And I prepared every offseason like there was somebody to come in to get my job because essentially that's what's happening. Every year is a referendum on what, what you did for me lately doesn't matter. It only matters what happens from here on out. I was fortunate to get through the game professionally with one year I went on IR, missed 11 games with a shoulder. Uh, I broke a bone in my shoulder, but it wasn't a, a bad injury. It was just one of those deals where, hey, we got to just let this heal. But I never had that injury where you had to go to surgery, rehab, come back and play. And that's one of the reasons why I left at the end, had a couple opportunities after my ninth season, and just kind of felt like, what do you do? I mean, you can feel it slipping away. I could feel my, my physical performance starting to slip. I just didn't have, I mean, it, it just took so, so much longer to recover from a season. I just made up this decision in my mind that it was, it was time for me to let it go and to move on and leave the game before it left me. It was hard turning down you know, that opportunity to go back and play again because your heart wants to play, but my body was telling me, hey, I, because I was high mileage. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount of games that I played and the amount of defensive plays that I had played in Ames, you know, when we were, you know, struggling a little bit offensively. And then, of course, I get to Detroit, we struggled offensively again until Barry came a few years later. So a lot, a lot of plays and part of it's luck, but I think a lot of it is just, you know, my attitude about training and the way I played the game. There had to be multiple times where you were thinking to yourself, can I go today or not? And you went. I mean, how did you how did you push yourself over that mental hurdle that probably a lot of guys get to and say, okay, I, I'm going to tap the brakes here. You kind of played through, I'm sure, a lot of injuries. Yeah, you, we called it the compensation theory back then. I met Bryce Pop a few years ago, you know, up at UNI before he had left, and I think he's at Minnesota now. It's the first time I've actually talked to another guy that played around the same time that I did, mm -hmm. but I didn't have any familiarity with. I didn't know him. We had these conversations about how you play and how you get through it, and, and he didn't care for his trainer in Green Bay when he was there and was using a chiropractor and you know other sports guys you know you know physical therapy guys outside of work and you know i told him it's like you know i nick things i hurt things but i was always able for some reason to get through it and it was just things that never put me down long enough to take me out of the game you know i had a couple uh, life flash before your eyes deals where i i sprained my medial ligament in my left knee in buffalo in uh in 91 and missed the first playoff game that we played before we went to Washington and played the Redskins. I just kind of ended up getting popped in the knee and ended up, I got up and my leg, you know, my knee felt like rubber. I mean, it was just really unstable. And it was a sprain that was enough to just keep me out a couple of weeks, but it was one of those deals where that was the dodge and the bullet thing, where I get hit a little bit harder, I blow my knee and I got an ACL reconstruction. And then who knows what happens after that because those can be very difficult things to come back from. So some of the things are just that being hindsight and being able to look back at and then you know having those conversations with Bryce about it. It's like, yeah, you just find a way to do it. I mean, the hardest thing to always do for us was always playing the Thursday night game or Thursday afternoon game for Thanksgiving Day. That's right. You know, you play a game on Sunday and then you come back and play on that Thursday. It was tough. I mean, when you go back a week before that and then you you have those three games over 11 day span and every year it gets harder but somehow you find a way and by that game time when you walk out on that field you're ready to go and you realize you have a job to do and you got to go out and perform and that work ethic that you just described has carried over into the restaurant business you've been at it for a while here in central iowa and i come in i'm a frequent customer you're here every time what makes your motor tick even now to just, I mean, you could rest on your laurels. You, you probably are doing fine financially, but you just keep working. Is that just ingrained in you? Yeah, you know, and I think 
playing sports in college, it kind of wires you up different. And then going on and playing professionally for so long, I'm a guy who can't sit down for very long. I like to stay active. And when I'm not active, I feel like, what should I be doing? Because there's something I need to do. In between having a family with my wife and our four children and in this business where you're up on your feet, you're moving. And it's kind of like my game time anymore. It's not that replacement because you don't quite get that. That emotional high out of you do is like when you're playing in a, in a, in a championship game or uh, you know, a game that, where your job's on the line, that kind of thing. But in, essentially, it's the same thing. You're creating your own team, and you're trying to execute responsibilities, and it's a very dynamic situation. In a way, it's very similar to football because, I mean, when you're standing out there and you're center on the kickoff team, and you're going to call the return to which side based on how the kicker places the ball on the tee, or, you know, you're standing out there, you know, and they're giving you a call that's like, hey, it's you guys called on the field based on what formation they line up, and then they line up in a formation, and then they they stem and move to another formation and then they go in motion and change in your defensive, you know, your secondary call changes three times in one in the matter of, you know, 15, 20 seconds. It's that real dynamic thing that you got to be able to think on your feet, move fast and, you know, keep hustling. And it's just, it's, it's like all other businesses. So the heart, if you work hard, you got a chance of having success. And without that hard work, there is no chance of success because no matter what you're doing, it's competitive. I mean, that's the way it is. Everybody's out there trying to do the same thing. And if you don't want to be the best, you're going to struggle. I know you've spoken to the team before, and I just want to get your thoughts. You mentioned Maslin, Ohio, where Kyle Camps and Matt Campbell are from. Uh, just your thoughts on what Matt's come in and done with the, the program and kind of the direction it's headed. How excited are you about that? Well, I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, I think it even happened faster than I thought. I think everybody's full of anticipation, and everybody feels good when you bring a new coach in. And having that guy make those changes and get the results that you want those are two different things everybody's got a bunch of potential and i think some of it lies with some guys that were here before that have helped you know kind of lay some groundwork maybe never got over the top and made that turn to get into that next tier i kind of feel like we're we're ready to take that giant step right now from you know the performance of last year but it's that same thing when it comes to me and when I look it's like what have you done for me lately and that's the gauge that everybody bases it on when Jamie introduced coach Campbell to the ex-players that first spring game that you know when we got together there and we were sitting in that room and he I didn't know his history the way that Jamie explained it to me and after going through the whole college thing and I don't think a lot of people from here understand football that's over through the Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania area, how big it is there too. I mean, everybody thinks about down south in Texas and the way it is down there, but it's a, it's a huge tradition there too. And, you know, after hearing, hearing Matt's story, I was just like, man, I was like, this is a guy who lives, breathes, eats, and sleeps. He's that guy. He reminded me of that Chris Spielman mentality, you know, in that he honestly is one of those guys, a blue-collar guy. And the reality of it is, is that anybody who doesn't believe that way isn't going to be a great coach because the one thing that I learned playing as long as I did is that if you don't make it happen Monday through Friday, it's not going to happen on Saturday or Sunday like when I was playing. You can't just show up. You actually have to prepare. And it's it, part of it's mental, part of it's physical, and, and part of it's that physical part of what you do on the field. And I think that the great coaches are the guys that have that mentality. And then they take what they want to do and they change it to what their players can do. Mm -hmm. They understand the physical abilities and they try to put their players in the best situations to give them success. 
And I think that, you know, guys start off with, hey, this is what we want to do. And I think the great ones make those decisions and start there and then morph into what their players do the best. Mm -hmm. And I think he's a guy that understands that just because a guy plays this position maybe doesn't mean that that's the best position for him to play. And we got to do what's best for the team. He's basically proven that in these first few seasons. And I think that, you know, we're on the cusp of, you know, maybe turning the corner and really being taking that next step and getting into a, a tier of teams that people are saying, hey, this isn't that team that everybody used to think when you when you heard the Iowa State Cyclones. And as you look at the stadium now, you have to take a lot of pride in seeing what it's become. Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful place. You know, back in the days when I was going to Lincoln and we were going down to Norman and even down at Oklahoma State, you know, you go to those facilities and then Ames was that little thing out in the cornfields, yeah. basically. And the way it's changed with the south end zone and, I mean, even the, the Heartland Hall. And it's, it's just such a dramatic change from when guys like me were playing there. It has that aura of a big-time program now. And I think that that's one of the things that generates excitement in recruits when they come in and they come to a game and we know that there's no better fan base. I mean, there just isn't. It's You can really truly say that because it's easy to be a fan when your team isn't successful. It's hard to be a fan when you're not. And when those guys, those Cyclone fans show up week in, week out, no matter what's going on, and support their team. It tells you a lot about the character of the people that are coming to that stadium. Dennis, it was awesome to visit with you. I appreciate you taking the time. Congratulations on going into the Hall of Fame. Can't wait to see you in September at the induction ceremony. Oh, yeah, thanks a lot. I'm really excited about it.